Taiwan's president in the United States as China threatens to retaliate. The island's president is not expected to meet with President Biden. Instead, scheduled to see House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as the U.S. doesn't have formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. All this while Taiwan's former president makes a stop in China, saying to Communist Party officials, we are all Chinese. Dueling trips and messages as the U.S. responds. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Taiwan's president stepping onto U.S. soil as China watches closely. Tsai Ing-wen saying ahead of the trip that external pressure will not deter Taiwan from engaging with the world. We are calm and confident. We will neither yield nor provoke. Taiwan will firmly walk on the road of freedom and democracy and go into the world. Although this road is rough, Taiwan is not alone. This comes as Tsai's predecessor, Ma Ying-jeou, makes a trip to China, telling officials there, we are all Chinese. Communist China claims democratically ruled Taiwan as its own territory, despite having never ruled Taiwan. Tsai is on her way to Guatemala and Belize, transiting through New York first and Los Angeles on the way back. While not officially confirmed, she is expected to meet House Speaker Kevin McCarthy while in California. That would mark the first meeting on U.S. soil between a House Speaker and a Taiwanese leader. And the prospect has angered Beijing. The Chinese regime now warning retaliation if the meeting with Speaker McCarthy comes to pass. Senior U.S. officials responded, saying there's no reason for China to overreact to the upcoming transit. For more details about Tsai's visit to the U.S. and Taiwan's former president's trip to China, we sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent at the Epoch Times. Here's his breakdown. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen is in the U.S. today, and the U.S. and Taiwan don't have official diplomatic ties. So what's the significance of this visit? Yeah, well, right now, I think it is really mostly a stopover before she goes to South America, just trying to build up diplomatic support uh, in, in light of the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is trying to systematically strip away uh, those countries that do recognize Taiwan as a nation. Uh, but on our way back, she is scheduled to meet with Speaker McCarthy. And I think that is a good sign for the United States. Uh, it's a good sign that we're still supporting uh, Taiwan and its democratic government, uh, though it does obviously draw the ire of the Chinese Communist Party, as it always has. And on that note, it seems with that upcoming planned visit between Tsai Ing-wen and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Beijing is threatening retaliation. How would that work? How can Beijing have a say over what happens on U.S. soil? Well, I think the first thing to note is Beijing does not have a say over what happens on United States soil. Uh, but that does not mean that they won't throw a temper tantrum, which they, they frequently do. We've seen this since the 90s, especially uh, when the then uh, Taiwan's then president visited the United States on a non-diplomatic visit. Uh, so essentially what we can probably expect will be missile strikes. Uh, it, it could go that far, missile strikes in the waters around Taiwan. I would definitely expect uh, 
large-scale military uh, exercises from the Chinese Communist Party. They, they've known that this meeting has been scheduled for some months, so they've had time to prepare such exercises. Uh, we might also see some economic uh, work against Taiwan from the Chinese Communist Party, as well as potential cyber attacks. Essentially, these are all the same things we saw last year when then-Speaker Pelosi visited Taiwan. And it, it's not out of the norm for the Chinese Communist Party at, the time, at this time, but uh, it is certainly unnerving, I'm sure, for those who live in Taiwan to have to deal with this type of oppression all the time. And it seems while Taiwan is here in the States and in South America later, the former Taiwanese president, Ma ying is actually in China. And he said recently, we are all Chinese. So how do you see these dueling visits and different messages? Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, Ma, I think, has long since proven himself to be a tool of Chinese communist influence. Uh, that extends throughout the entirety of his career. When he was first elected in 2008, he broke with 60 years of Taiwan precedent and opened up travel to the mainland and tried to encourage economic entanglement with the Chinese Communist Party. When he was seeking re-election in 2011, he explicitly vowed not to pursue communications with the Chinese Communist Party leadership. And then he broke that vow and he became the only Taiwan leader, Taiwanese leader since 1945 to meet with the leader of the Chinese Communist Party. And he met in person with Xi Jinping in 2015. And I think we need to recognize that he, out of any Taiwan leader over the last 70 years, has probably done more to harm Taiwan's standing and increase the CCP's control over the island than anyone else. And Andrew, given all these different messages, say with Taiwan here, with Ma Ying-jeou in China, what should the U.S.'s next steps be? The United States should let Taiwan know that we continue to support them. We continue to support their free and their free democratic society, their market economy, and their commerce and their commercial ties with us. We we don't have formal diplomatic ties with them at this point. Unfortunately, we should work to uh, increase that. But for now, these unofficial visits are a good sign. We're keeping close with them. We're ensuring that they know we will protect freedom of the seas and freedom of navigation in the Taiwan Strait and elsewhere in the South China Sea. And so I think this is a very good sign for U.S. and Taiwan relations. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. More U.S. trade restrictions are hitting Chinese businesses. On Tuesday, Washington added five Chinese firms to its entity list, all of them accused of suppressing the Uyghur Muslim minority. The entity list means U.S. suppliers need a special and difficult-to-obtain license before they can ship goods to those companies. All five newly added companies are subsidiaries of China's Hikvision, a state-owned surveillance camera maker. Hikvision is widely criticized for aiding Beijing's human rights abuses in the Xinjiang region. And for that reason, the company was added to the U.S. entity list in 2019. In response to Washington's move, Beijing's foreign ministry condemned Washington, accusing the U.S. of what it described as politicizing normal business and economic cooperation. The U.S. Commerce Department confirmed that protecting human rights worldwide will be a key factor for its trade blacklist policy. Washington returning to dialogue with China, but officials are keeping it low-key for now. This comes two months after Secretary Antony Blinken canceled his planned China trip over the spy balloon incident. I am postponing my planned travel this weekend to China. The State Department confirmed Tuesday that a U.S. official visited China last week. 
That official is Rick Waters, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for China and Taiwan. He's the State Department's China coordinator. DAS Waters met with uh, working level counterparts and U.S. government colleagues uh, in an official capacity. He visited uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing as part of his uh, his trip, and uh, don't have really anything uh, additional uh, to to offer. Oh, just asked if the visit is to prep for Blinken's visit to Beijing. As it relates to the secretary's trip, we have uh, long said that uh, the trip is postponed and will be rescheduled at a date when conditions allow. Uh, the important thing to remember here, and I think this is a, a key piece of, uh, of, of Das Waters' trip, is um, we have long said that we believe it is important to maintain lines of communication uh, with uh, the PRC. Blinken was originally set to visit China earlier this year in February, but the trip was canceled after the U.S. found out a Chinese spy balloon floated across the U.S. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky is extending an invite to Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Here are the details. I want to speak with him because I, have con I had contact with him before full-scale war, but during all this year, more than one year, I didn't have and I really wait when our teams will uh, find like a solution. You, but no plans yes. at the moment. Yes. Okay. Yes. Would you invite him here to Ukraine? Oh, yes, we are ready. We are ready to see him here. Chinese leader Xi Jinping just wrapped up a visit to Russia last week. The two countries pledged to boost military cooperation, and Putin said China's peace proposal on the Ukraine war is in sync with Russian approaches. But he said Ukraine's Western allies so far have shown no interest in it. Ukraine has rejected giving up parts of its territory for peace. Following Xi's visit, Putin said he plans to store nuclear weapons in Belarus, the country sits between Russia and Ukraine. Responding to Zelensky's invite, China's foreign ministry says Beijing maintains communication with all parties involved, including Ukraine. The spokesperson added that she didn't have specific information to share on the communication between the two leaders. Taiwan is gaining more Western support, this time from Central Europe. On Wednesday, Taiwan and the Czech Republic signed several memorandums of understanding, consolidating their bilateral partnership. That says Beijing ramps up military pressure in the area. The signing highlighted common values shared by both sides. In the face of expanding authoritarianism globally and a more challenging situation around the world, Taiwan will actively boost and extend our cooperation with the Czech Republic, as well as other countries who have similar core values, to strengthen democratic resilience. The group of roughly 150 Czech delegates arrived in Taipei on Saturday, welcomed by Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen, the Speaker of the Lower Chamber of the Czech Parliament, leading the delegation. The Czech Republic sees Taiwan as an ally. As of now, the nation recognizes the One China Principle, a narrative pushed by the Chinese regime claiming Taiwan as its territory. But Czechia has bolstered support for the island over the years. The visit serves as a boost for the island. Just days ago, ex-ally Honduras cut off diplomatic relationship with Taiwan and turned to China. A tranquil archipelago in the Taiwan Strait, now a site for geopolitical rivalry. In February, Chinese ships wrecked two undersea cables that connect the islands to the rest of the world. Could it be a plot by Beijing? And what's happening there now? Let's take a closer look. 
Just a stone's throw away from mainland China, residents of Taiwan's Matsu Islands have lived without internet for nearly two months. The outage caused by damage to the island's two cables running underwater. Taiwan's National Communications Commission found evidence that Chinese boats cut them in early February. Islanders now hook up to a limited and slow microwave network as a backup. Taiwan's largest service provider, Chunghua Telecom, owns the two cables. It says the vessel needed to recover the facilities won't arrive until April 20th. The company is now expanding its microwave capacity and working to schedule an earlier date for repairs. Meanwhile, Chunghua's CEO points to a pitfall of laying cables on the seabed. Submarine cables are actually quite vulnerable. They work well in peacetime because of their high bandwidth. But when cross-strait relations get strained, they can be very insecure. Despite evidence, Taiwanese authorities have stopped naming Beijing for acts of seemingly deliberate sabotage. But the unusual frequency of breaks in the two cables, 27 times in the past five years, prompts the question, were they mere accidents? Submarine fibers carry more than 95 percent of the world's Internet data traffic, including government and military communications. Because of that, tampering with Internet facilities has been one of Russia's main tactics against Ukraine. With Matsu sitting just six miles from China at its closest point, analysts speculate that the cable cuts are part of a broader campaign by Beijing to put pressure on Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party claims Taiwan is its own territory and has threatened to take it by force. In a military exercise last year, following a visit by former U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Chinese troops dropped bombs near the island's coast. The Chinese regime has never ruled Taiwan. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris is in Africa. Washington is looking to counter growing influence from China and Russia on the continent. But Africa might have a different take. Here's a closer look. Kamala Harris was in Ghana on Monday, vowing that the U.S. will pressure the debt laden country's bilateral creditors, the biggest of which is China. We support Ghana's engagement with the IMF. The U.S. Vice President's week-long visit to Africa is the latest by a string of senior officials as Washington seeks to counter growing Chinese and Russian influence on the continent. The relationship between the United States and this continent and African leaders is an important one. There's a historical basis for the relationship, not to mention as we look forward, as all governments should, and recognize the unachieved, as of yet, opportunities that exist going forward. Harris will also visit Tanzania and Zambia, said the United States would continue to push for all bilateral creditors to provide meaningful debt reduction for countries that need it. That includes Ghana, which defaulted on most of its $29 billion of external debt last year as interest payments and inflation soared. It still needs to negotiate a resolution with its private international bondholders and bilateral creditors, including Beijing with which it has $1.9 billion of debt. China has invested heavily in Africa over the past two decades, particularly in terms of infrastructure, mining, timber, and fishing. At a news conference with Harris, Ghana's president Nana Afuko Adol suggested there was an obsession in the United States with China's activities on the continent. Well, there's no such obsession here, but China is one of the many countries with whom Ghana is engaged in the world. Harris also announced a $100 million package to support conflict prevention and stabilization efforts in Benin, Ivory Coast, Ghana, Guinea, and Togo. That's against a backdrop of Russian private military contractor Wagner Group providing security assistance in several countries. Akufo Ado reiterated his concern about Wagner's presence in West Africa, 
saying it raised the very real possibility that once again our continent is going to become the playground for great power conflict. Yet another Chinese company finding itself in hot water. Chinese fashion retail giant Shine is now accused of running from U.S. tariffs. Just recently, a new group called Shutdown Shine launched in the U.S. It's condemning the company for unethical business practice while pointing at Shine's involvement in China's human rights abuses. The group also claims that Shine has significant ties with Chinese social media app TikTok. In 2016, the U.S. waived import taxes for packages valued $800 or less, enabling overseas companies to take advantage of the American trade system. Shine is one of them. U.S. labor groups are now demanding that Washington reduce those tax exemptions for Chinese imports. They say the policy directly hurts U.S. retailers. Coming up, the battle between the U.S. and communist China doesn't stop at microchips or artificial intelligence. It also extends to space and nuclear weapons, two areas where the Chinese Communist Party is rushing to catch up. We spoke to Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and senior editor at 1945.com for more details. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Space and nuclear, two areas the Chinese Communist Party is working to surpass the U.S. in. We spoke to Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and senior editor at 1945.com for a deep dive into those issues. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. So it seems when we look at potential conflicts between the U.S. and China or even Russia, there's more and more focus on space. The Pentagon is now preparing their cadets to prepare for a potential conflict in space. What would this look like? What would it entail? Well, the first thing we need to remember is that space war is going to be, it's not going to be seen, it's going to be felt. Uh, it will be first uh, attacks directed by Russia or China, maybe even Iran or North Korea, uh, against our satellite layer. Uh, they will usually probably target initially military satellite networks, notably those charged with uh, surveillance, uh, communications, um, and maybe even if it gets really bad, they'll, they might target our nuclear command control and communication satellites, which is basically how we would coordinate a nuclear attack on an enemy country. And so we won't see it. It won't look like Star Wars. It will look, it will be quiet, uh, and we will only feel it about half an hour to 45 minutes after the attack occurs, uh, because basically either the military won't be able to conduct critical missions because they can't coordinate the way they need to using satellites, or God help us, the, the Chinese or Russians attack our civilian satellite systems and our economy grounds to a halt. Remember, something like a trillion dollars every day washes across the global economy. That's all because of um, electronic transfers and transactions that are made possible by pinpoint satellite timing. And once you start losing your space assets, good luck getting them back soon, and that means you start losing on Earth. And with all of that, then, do we not have backup satellites or something that would kick in in place if the military is unable to communicate or even civilian life grounds to a halt? What would those defenses be? 
So, so what you're talking about is replacement. And unfortunately, especially when it comes to the military satellites and what the Space Force, because I know I've been consulting with the Pentagon on this, what the Space Force has really been trying to work for, work toward is getting replacements available. The problem is, is that the way the Pentagon for 30, 40 years has procured and deployed satellites, they've rolled a bunch of functions into one or two systems, which makes them very expensive, makes them very big, which means they have to be married to a special rocket, which makes them even more expensive. Then they have to go into orbit. And once they're there, because they're so costly, we don't build spares and we don't like to replace them unless they are literally dying. And so our enemies have figured that out and they figured out, hey, we can, for the cost of an anti-satellite missile or a laser uh, or even a co-orbital satellite crashing one satellite into one of our satellites, we can knock out an entire section of America's defense for cheap. And so what the Space Force is trying to do is buy and build cheaper, uh, easily replaced satellites. Think Elon Musk's Starlink model, where there's a lot of small satellites doing what one or two satellites used to do, big satellites used to do. The problem is that takes time. And the problem is we don't have time. The Chinese and the Russians know this is a se severe vulnerability. Um, it's uh, believed by the Pentagon that they can plug this gap in our defense by 2027 to 2029. But obviously it's 2023, so we've got a few years before they think they can get that plugged. And our enemies know those timetables as well. And they're seeking to exploit those weaknesses and vulnerabilities now, not three to six years from now. And Brandon, on that note, when we speak about satellites, whether they're military or civilian, how does the U.S. stack up against China or Russia? Is there a difference in quality and the like sturdiness of it? Or how does this shape up? The United States is the number one leading space power. Uh, Russia was, until very recently, number two. China's number three. You can make the argument that China's leapfrogged the Russians because of the economic sanctions we put on Russia's aerospace sector. Even though America is still the dominant power, and just what I was talking about before, we have not innovated, particularly our defensive satellite systems, our military systems in space, we've not innovated them enough to remain number one in a contested environment. So when we were in an uncontested environment, yeah, we were great. But now we are in a multipolar, I would say tripolar world system where China and Russia are competing with us. That's three poles. And now we have the added problem. As we push hard against Russia and Ukraine, they pivot to their east and become basically a vassal of China. And that means that China is now gaining access not only to the natural resources of Russia, but they're also gaining access to the critical aerospace technologies of Russia. And so now you have the number two and number three space powers combining their powers, not just on Earth, but more importantly in space. And those two together can challenge the United States for a dominant dominant role in space as never before. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tiffany. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.